Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Hey friends, visitors, Caps fans, and non-Caps fans, welcome to Shift Drink on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm Eddie Kim. I'm a recovering HQ trivia addict, Aquavit evangelist, and road warrior barman. Every week we share a shift drink and swap war stories from behind the line with chefs, bartenders, bakers, and brewers, and pretty much anyone who touches this all-encompassing industry. Uh, this week, we are going to double fist our beers with beer coach Sarah Jane Curran and, oh, oh, of Beer Me Radio, who is our, I would say, our sister podcast who broadcasts uh, a few hours before us here on Mondays. Uh, and well, she is also joined by Dylan Pitcher, a, a certified Cicerone and Bel- at Belgian beer mecca, The Sovereign, right here in Georgetown. Um, this is Shift Drink, and we have two amazing beer hounds in the studio with us. Uh, Eddie Kim, you brought a couple beers back for us uh, from your travels. Yeah, yeah. So I was down in Asheville, North Carolina this weekend. There was a collaboration dinner between Bad Saint, located here in Washington, D.C., and Buxton Hall Barbecue, which is in Asheville. They were both nominated in 2016, or they're both on the same list by Bon Appetit magazine as best new restaurants in America. And the story goes, Tom met, Tom Cunanan, the chef at Bad Saint, met Elliot Moss, um, the owner at Buxton Hall up in New York at the awards ceremony, and they totally had a bromance as soon as, as, soon as they looked at each other. <laughs> That's what Tom told me. I feel like Tom probably has a lot of bromances. He seems like a very romantic kind of guy. He's a very openly loving guy. Yeah. And that's why, I think, yeah. And that's why I love him. And it always shows up in bro form. But yes. <laughs> um, yes, okay. So uh, right behind Buxton Hall is Burial Beer Company. Uh, Asheville is kind of like the Portland, but on, on the East Coast, there are so many breweries everywhere. You can't go down the street without running into at least two or three of them. Um, Wicked Weed is based out of Asheville. I think that's probably one of their biggest one, biggest names coming out of that town. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but Burial's great. Uh, and so I brought back two beers. Uh, right now we have in our glasses the Inverted Fields Ablaze. Oh, no, I'm sorry, the, the Keeper's Veil, which is a honey saison. There's chamomile, elder, elderflower, lemongrass, passionflower. Admittedly, it was I had it in my glass. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm done. <laughs> that was good. Uh, it was a good first drink. Uh, yeah. Sarah, what did you say about it originally? You thought it was very, the honey very, comes through. Very honey forward. Yeah, very, very much so. So, in, Any opinions? I mean, in, in my mind, I would say... Maybe let it ferment out a little bit. There was a little. There was a lot of like residual sugar, mm-hmm. and you know when somebody includes honey in the beer, I, I kind of want it to be dry. Um, but at the same point, 
they stuck around with all those really great floral notes. So, you know, it just depends what you're in the mood for. And I guess I wasn't in the mood for that much honey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also have brought a second beer. We'll pop that open in a second. The Inverted Field to Blaze, which is a smoked Maybach lager. Definitely going to be on the heavier side. We'll try that in a bit. But Dylan, you brought your shift drink of choice. What'd yeah. You bring? So uh, this has come out. This is a Belgian brewery called Duranka. They have uh, been around for about twenty years now, and they kind of specialize in making these hoppier style beers. The name Duranka just means the rank. They rank hops as their favorite ingredient. And you know, this is one of the most balanced, just drinkable beers that they've made, called Simplex. They kind of wanted to make a Pilsner-style beer, something that drinks like one, but isn't fermented like one. Huh. So Fascinating. You, you said all the right words to me. That's, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the perfect shift drink is something light and refreshing, honestly. Yeah. Uh, was there a moment that someone like put, poured one for you and you drank it? Uh, stars kind of flew out of your face? eyes and out of your face you fell in love with it well uh <laughs> actually so we we get a lot of our beers directly imported from belgium they come in these giant drops of like you know five pallets and ten thousand pounds of beer it's called it, a shelton delivery and it's very painful oh <laughs> well, they're fun but occasionally uh a pallet will fall down or a keg will explode and because uh, international shipping i guess and the first time I actually had this was a busted a keg just busted open in front of us, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna grab a glass and try it out." And it was like, "Wow, even warm straight out of the keg, this is an amazing beer." So, are we are we talking about like spewing up in the air, and all you are you guys just dancing around it like it's like a broken mm-hmm. fire hydrant? Basically, yeah, because yeah, you're you're lugging all these kegs everywhere, and you're like sweaty, and like if if something like starts busting open, you just you take a beer shower. That sounds like the worst, like. You know, I actually, well, I just experience. had, I didn't have a beer shower. I had a shower beer. That's a, it was a Czech Pilsner shower beer stuff. Just one of my favorite, like, home rituals. Shower beer is one of the more oh, underrated God, experiences so in the world. Uh, you, you get home after, like, a long shift, and your body and your soul and your mind all ache. And you sit in that shower and have a cold beer. Yeah. It's a beautiful Not experience. to be confused with a bath beer, which is totally Very different. Very different. Yeah. Very different. It's similar. It's very similar, Eddie Kim. <laughs> Eddie Kim's giving me the what the fuck face. Um, well, can I, we crack open? I haven't had this. Yeah, let's I crack it open. This one. I'm yeah. extremely thirsty. Thank you, Dylan. Um, and thank you for bringing that in, yeah. Yeah, let's get these glasses going. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, uh, we do like to start each uh, episode here with a kind of a get to know you uh, segment we call Two Truths. One lie. Two truths. One lie. All right. Um, so what we're gonna do is uh, Eddie and I here are, are gonna basically just sit here and judge you. Okay. Um, you're gonna lie to us, mm-hmm. Sarah Jane. I know you and I have played this game before. Dylan, I can't wait. Um, just I, I would just kind of put them all out there, and Eddie and I will choose. Of the three, which is the lie? You should know we won last time, so we're riding a, a victory streak. Yes, first time ever. <laughs> so, first? Yeah, yeah, go, go for it. Cool. Uh, all right, so my first job was in a glue factory. Uh, in high school, I was in a heavy metal band that actually did make it into a couple bars in New York City. and That sounds like the truth. I really, really hate truffles. That 
also sounds like a truth. I think the glue factory is the lie, Eddie. What do you? Yeah, I don't think you could kill a horse. Or glue's not made for horses. Anyway, I, I'm not. <laughs> Elmer's, I think Elmer's is, is horse hoof free, but I'm sure there's still a standard there sure. somewhere. Um, is that what you, is that, we could, we yeah, could yeah, let's, let's, let's go for the glue factory. I, yeah, I think you hate truffles, you love metal, and you're, you could care less about glue. Ooh, now I, I can't play an instrument for my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good. It feels good back at the bottom again. All right. Um, can uh, you tell, can, I want to know about this glue factory. Uh, yeah, my, my parents own a small adhesives factory that was started in Ohio and moved to New York, and Working in a glue factory is not fun. You're basically just throwing a bunch of chemicals into a mixer, and it smells really, really bad. And yeah, it's it sucks when you get glue in your hair too. And so only, yeah. only naturally do you start making or start studying beer. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I I'd been I quickly shifted from glue making to any other job, which ended up being dishwashing. So yeah. worked up through back of house, through front of house, and S- spray paint huffing. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Uh, I, I guess I just got into beer when working in the back of the house. Just, you know, the shift drink turned into a passion. So, yeah. Uh, and you guys are both uh, CIA grads, alums. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I hope that that's not one of your truths, Sarah Jane. No, that wasn't one of my truths. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because you already know that about me. Yeah, that's true. Uh, for our listeners who don't know this, Sarah Jane and I uh, worked together for almost a couple of years over at the old Pineapple and Pearls. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Sarah Jane, try and lie to me. All right. Uh, I'm full disclosure. I'm really, really bad at lying. So we'll see how this goes. Um, I'm staring at you. I know. That was lie number one. Eddie, don't be suckered by this. (laughs) Okay. Um, let's see. I, uh, I cannot watch a TV or a movie unless it is on a even number for the volume. Um, (laughs) <laughs> One of my favorite all-time beers I like that a lot. is uh, Heineken, and um, okay. a hobby of mine that I don't get to do that often is uh, horseback riding. Oh, man. You kind of seem like a horseback rider, but not... I feel like more English. I hope that's not offensive. Okay. No. Um, Heineken would be like a weird thing that... Because I fucking hate Heineken so much. But it, it could be like that weird backwards. I'm into beer, but I also like Heineken. So, Sarah, you grew up in Annandale. I did. So, not really. It, it's a suburb of DC, and it's not really in a rural area at all. Mm-mm. So, I'm, I'm gonna say the horse thing is a lot. And I, I know you, you. But there are, are a lot of. You're particular about certain things, so the volume on even numbers also makes sense. I don't even know if you can listen to volume and odd numbers. Never thought about it. You know, Heineken. Heine- no, I think that's. I think this is like HQ. I think she wants us to choose that. Don't bring HQ into this. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say horse riding. Okay, horse riding. The horse riding part is a lie. You say. Yeah. You're actually correct. Oh. <laughs> I am. Oh, uh, I am deathly afraid of horses. I can't get within a ten foot radius. Wow. Yeah. Is it their toothy grin? No, no, no. It's just like they're they're creatures ready to attack at all times, and essentially a plague on the human race. It's... How do you really feel about horses? 
Um, Speaking of turning them to glue, like, yeah. <laughs> we'll for it. Okay, we got a new theme here. Well, I think I already know the answer to one of our Mary Fuck Kill questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you do oh. like Heineken. I do. So here, here's the thing with Heineken is, is it's more of a nostalgic thing. Okay. Um, I did my externship when I was at the Culinary Institute at, uh, in Bermuda at the Waterloo House. It was a small boutique hotel. And at the end of the night, everyone sat around and drank Heineken's. That was the beer of Bermuda. Yeah. And so for me, it tastes like the end of a really, really difficult uh, shift. <laughs> El Presidente is the other one, right? Down there? Uh, I never, I don't know. I, I just saw Heineken okay. and Dark and Stormy's. Like, yeah. that was it. Um, I, think, I, I think the Japanese kind of fucked up when they named Umami the fifth sensory or like fifth taste bud because I think nostalgia is number six. Yeah. I think, I think there's... Uh, nostalgia often plays into why we like or dislike things. I'm just putting that out there. I was wondering where you were going with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Japanese, you're very right about a lot of things. Just to be totally oversimplistic and generalistic. Okay, moving on. Eddie Kim. So this past weekend it was the Saver Beer Festival. Yeah. Uh, over 80 breweries represented a number of countries, as we were talking about before. Uh, overall impressions. Uh, any journal trends that you saw kind of popping up? Um, anyone got really sloppy and say something <laughs> ridiculous? So, uh, Saver is a really great uh, event that's thrown by the Brewers Association. So, actually, every brewery that participated is in America um, because it is promoting American craft beer. And it's also uh, essentially trying to elevate beer and focusing on how well beer f- pairs with food. So each brewery brings two beers, and then those beers are paired with, with little bites. Um, and Adam Dooley, the executive chef for the Brewers Association, is kind of the ringmaster for all this food, which I don't know how he does it, but he, he does somehow handle it every year. It sounds like There's a... There's like 80-plus breweries, right? Yeah, 80-plus breweries and then two beers each, and you're creating a bite for each of those beers, oh and you're God. executing like hors d'oeuvre-style food for you know hundreds of people it's, it sounds the like masses. a kitchen nightmare yeah. scenario but he he pulls it off and does it with a lot of grace which i'm always impressed with um as far as the beers that were there i thought this year it was like a really good mix of beers uh last year you saw a lot of you know new england style ipas and this year of course there were some of those um and these are kind of like the more hazy more kind of citrusy uh IPAs that you're seeing crop up everywhere is kind of a trend right now. But this year there was a really great, you know, mix of people, mix of um, beers. I was I was actually really impressed of the people who attended. There was like a, a really great mix of people. It was an, it wasn't all like, you know, beer nerds checking in on their untapped. It was like people actually people coming out like dressed up nicely. You saw couples, you saw groups of friends, like it was more... That's actually very, yeah. very coincidentally, I was on my way to Asheville when I was on the metro train into Virginia on Friday night. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of suburban guys, you know, all wearing the kind of like the cargo shorts, having their seat saver beer commemorative glass in hand and all things like, wow, is this, is this the kind of crowd that goes to the Saver Beer Festival, but you're I mean, saying it's quite the opposite. Maybe, that's good to hear. Maybe on Friday night. I okay. don't know. I went on Saturday night, and it was it was a really great mix of people. Like, and I hate to like play into the whole like woman and beer thing, but like there were a lot of women there. I was I was really excited. Um, and everyone... Jack, can we get a round of applause? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and it was, I don't know, it was nice and people were dressed up and it, it felt like an event, you know? That's great, yeah. So it was, it was really good. Yeah. Dylan, any, any, were you there that night? So I didn't go to Savor this year. I went last year. But uh, one of the cool things about Savor is it, it ramps up all the beer restaurants in D.C. to actually start doing some events and bringing in brewers to do things like that. Like, Church Key and Sovereign did a couple events, but, like, Murdy and Pint does events, and, you know, their constituents. So that's that's one of the things I think is fun. And then also brewers are just some of the best guests out there. They're all yeah. just so nice. Um, yeah, what what are some of the weird, or, like, some of, the, like, the curated events that happened over the weekend in D.C. around this? Because I know, like, Boundary Stone usually does something as well, and... Yeah, I know uh, Pizza Paradiso in uh, DuPont Circle did a brunch with a main beer company, uh, which was really great. A lot of shellfish, a lot yeah. of uh, you know IPAs and pale ales and stuff like that. Uh, you guys did an event with uh, Spencer, right? That yeah. was really cool. I did, I'm sorry I didn't get to go to that one, but you, you guys being the sovereign, yeah. Oh, so sorry. we actually um, there's there's one Trappist uh, brewery in the United States, like an actual monastery huh. uh, called Spencer, uh, and we brought down the abbot from Massachusetts, and cool. he talked to the guests, and we got some of the. Trappist jams and jellies and stuff and put out some specials. It was really cool. That's really awesome. Sounds great. Actually, I do remember, now, now, that I think when, now that I think about it, I do remember when Spencer first came to D.C. and everyone kind of lost their minds a little bit. It was really highly anticipated. And they released maybe one beer to start off with, one or two, and it was uh, yeah, they, really they well-received. one, but now, now they've really actually expanded. Sure. So and let's not forget their preserves. They make really, really fabulous preserves. I would never, ever forget the preserves, so Jane. <laughs> the, the look with intensity, which you just said, that was amazing. Um, in, uh, in academia, uh, be it literature or beer, Sarah Jane, you got your, uh, your graduate's degree in, in beer. Um, there always seems to be kind of two sides. People that study it and translate it for the world at large, and the people that create it. Um, Brewing beer kind of tends seems to be one of those things that everybody tries at least once. Uh, do you guys dabble in that side at all? Uh, I actually I don't. Um, <laughs> my husband is ironically allergic to hops, okay, <laughs> um, which is varying degrees of hilarious. Uh, so I can't brew at home because we can't have a bunch of hops you yeah. know, floating around. Um, I've done like brew brew days with like a homebrewer club and friends and things like that. I've never actually brewed professionally, though, which is uh, something I kind of regret that I hadn't gotten into. Regret or just yet to happen? Maybe. Maybe a little bit of both. Who knows? The world's my uh, oyster. Uh, Yeah, I I used to homebrew, but the fun of living in a small apartment in D.C. is there's no room for big pots or pans or anything like that. So, uh, but yeah, kind of like Sarah Jane for the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've only done it once, and it was not good <laughs> it was i did uh what did i call it it was a kundalini rising lager is what i called it it was super bitter you would choose something like that yeah, yeah. i did i was very into yoga back then that sounds hipster yeah the, the, to be fair this was the year 1999 mm. um but yeah i still remember how not good it was 19, 19 years ago Eddie, have, have you ever dabbled in the uh, the dark arts of brewing not beer brewing um, dabbled in a couple other things as other kinds of fermentation uh, making tapache yeah for instance something which that is, you and I both recently yeah uh, which is a Mexican pineapple wine essentially uh, using that, using wild yeast just right on the outside of the pineapple 
Um, I am kind of researching on how to make makgeolli, mm. which is... It's actually pretty easy. Yeah, is it? Yeah. Well, I, I've been reading there's, there's a lot of extra steps you could take, and each step kind of gives the makgeolli a certain kind of ranking or name. name it sounds like it. fake beer made with broccoli. <laughs> is that now? Koreans are very healthy. <laughs> uh, no, it's made with rice, and it's kind of like sake, but very, very different. Um, it tends to be unfiltered, very uh, a little bit sweeter than sake, um, but it's the, the way it, the way it's produced and the way it's imbibed, and it's, it's much more of like a communal party type drink rather than uh, something that's you know sip and savored like sake. Yeah, I mean, I for makgeolli, it's. I guess it's the same thing with everybody else. You make it as hard as you want to or not, but, you know, my experience making it, you just boil a bunch of rice, throw it in some water. They have basically, it's a puck called naruk, which is like basically a old stale piece of grain that has a bunch of yeast in it, and you throw that in and let it sit there. But then again, I guess you could say kind of the same thing about beer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like the pet nat of beer. (laughs) Um, all right. I mean, I just came from, so I have this Asheville trip very, very fresh in my mind and breweries everywhere. They have a lot more space. Mm-hmm. And Dylan, you said like, we in DC, we don't really have a lot of space to have any home brewers. Uh, I, I looked up an article on Eater DC on 11 new breweries that are opening up in the area. Only three of them are actually in, within the Bellway the other eight are all outside, at least probably 45-minute drive. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to ask you both, what, why is that? Other than space. Is, are there any other factors other than space? I mean, are people just not interested? No, I mean, of course people are interested. There are space and, and cost uh, factors. Um, I think real estate in D.C. is significantly more expensive than you'll find outside. I know that permitting in dc can be a little bit challenging as well um you know i had the guys on from a silver branch brewing company that's gonna be opening up in silver spring in the next year ish um and you know even though they're in silver spring they're you know right off the metro so you know you will there are some options but i mean you're right it's hard to you know get to all the dc breweries you can't really do like a you know, like a yeah, walking right. brewery tour, you know, you got DC Brow up all the way, you know, basically to Maryland. You got Blue Jacket all the way down in Navy Yard. You know, you're, you're kind of bouncing around a little bit. So yeah. there are plenty of bachelor parties I've seen around town doing the, a beer tour of DC beers, which is great. And a lot of great deep bars, too. Yeah. So I, know, I know Church Key, uh, which is part of the neighborhood restaurant group, uh, part of the same group as the Sovereign. Very, very popular spot for for people to gather and try a lot of beers but and right proper yeah, yeah right proper yeah. is is really great but i mean still you're you're still kind of bouncing around i mean you gotta yeah. have you gotta have a party bus there's something there's something <laughs> lost bus. about walking down the street and knowing that you can go to a brew pub and yeah. and that's why i like uh, places like right proper so much because they have kind of embraced that yeah that and then idea. you also have like atlas Brewworks um right in ivy city and and that's a little more walkable for a lot of people as you see that area you know get more and more developed but I mean, I, I just, I feel like people would love to open more breweries in, in D.C., but I think real estate is really the biggest pitfall that I've heard, you know? I mean, you know, the other thing is if you're opening a brewery, your, your building has to fit a lot of specific codes. Your ceilings have to be really tall for fermenters. Your 
floor has to have a big concrete base and uh, there's just a lot of historical buildings in dc too yeah you can't change a lot of things so we're we're, i mean like when it comes down to it it almost sounds like we just can't yeah Yeah. i mean uh, that's kind of the beauty of breweries though is they're known for going into a place that is maybe a little underdeveloped and maybe a little cheaper as far as real estate goes and create a draw for the community and kind of start building a community out from there Um, and you see that in a lot of other cities and that's one of the things that I personally love about breweries is they they encourage you know a community I'd, I'd say DC Brow definitely did that. I remember when they first landed and they made a, a huge splash because, you know, DC finally had their own beer for the first time in a long time. Uh, and it was, you'd go out to bar and like, oh, DC Brow, DC Brow, DC Brow. And uh, I mean, now we obviously have a lot more options. But again, like even when Right Proper landed over in Shaw, it was, it was a huge draw. Um, so it was very cool. Well, we're going to take a, a step out for a second. We're going to cut to a, a little break. And when we come back, we're going to uh, talk beer trends and kind of uh, test some knowledge. A little remix from Keto here called Daydreaming. We're on Shift Drink. We will be right back shortly. Stay tuned. to Shift Drink Me, the crossover of Beer Me and Shift Drink, One of Us Will Die. Uh, we're also joined by special guest Dylan uh, from The Sovereign. Dylan, talk to us about The Sovereign real quick. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it's uh, Church Key's direct sister restaurant. They wanted to keep the same concept of like 50 draft beers, 400 bottles, um, but we're all Belgian. And kind of the thing is, there's, there's a lot of big Belgian brands everybody knows, like Lef, Jamey, whatever. Uh, we try and focus on the smaller Belgian breweries that never really get to even be outside of Belgium. So, uh, and Belgium probably has the, the largest array of styles and different kinds of beer. And so we're just trying to introduce people to that and show them some of the really cool stuff that they're probably not used to. Right on. Uh, I know, I mean... America, we're we're seeing a lot of new trends, be it you know the the New England uh, IPA or whatever. What's what's kind of what's brewing in the world of Belgium? I'm sure they have their own things that are kind of trending. Well, they're starting to take after off of uh, Americans a little bit. Uh, you're seeing a lot more actual like Belgian IPAs with some Belgian grown hops and things like that, um, which ends up being a little more interesting because you know Belgium. Europe actually is just really not well known for innovating in the in the beer world, like sure. bringing out new styles and things like that, quite like the United States is. Um, 
so yeah I think that's definitely one of the more interesting things coming out of Belgium uh, I mean if you were to just kind of like every region has its own kind of influences and biases what in particular would you say Belgium is like what are their kind of go-to classics I mean uh, Sarah Jane's making a face this is a hard question I guess or a general question well it's, it's one of those things it's like saying well what kind of wine is France known for sure. it's such You're a right. huge category but I'd say if anything yeast it's yeah. all about the yeast over there pink wine you know you gotta speak of Eddie Kim pink wine <laughs> I mean <laughs> you <laughs> no Dylan Dylan is totally right they've got they've got a huge you know lambics are yeah. you know a big part of the Belgian culture Trappist beers are a big part of the Belgian culture you have uh, the Belgian IPA style on the rise Saisons um, right on the border of Belgium and France that's where they started so depending on where you go you also have the uh, Flanders ales that are Flemish reds, yeah, Flemish, Flemish reds. So oh. all of these like major styles all came out of Belgium, and okay. and consuming beer in Belgium is an art form. Everything has its dedicated glass. Um, it's really beautiful. Yeah, I mean that's you guys must have a, a particularly amazing array of glassware and stemware. Well, yeah, I mean we we try and make sure that the beer goes into the glass that's going to show its characteristics the best. You know, bigger beers need to be in a rounder glass that way basically more of the actual matter can flow around and make it easier for you to smell it and taste it for the uh, lighter beers that are a little more bitter they need to be in a narrow glass that way the carbonation all stays put and keeps its form has that always been in the beer making tradition i mean i know in the wine world different glasses actually didn't come about until rather recently with uh, rydell well i mean the rise of glassware came about around what like the industrial age and so that's when you started to see uh pilsners uh gain popularity because you know you had this beautiful uh glass to kind of show off this very clear beverage um because otherwise people were drinking out of like mugs and you know steins and things like that (laughs) made of like what Ceramics ceramic and, and are you telling me the stein is not the ideal drinking method no i mean for some beers it totally is yeah. um but i you know it it kind of morphed and changed and you know as different beer styles came about different brewers wanted to make uh glasses special for their beer so that's why you see, especially in Belgium, where there's like a, a, a longer history of brewing, there are a lot of breweries that have like specific branded glassware that, that all have different, you know, kinds of designs uh, for each beer. Right on. Well, so let's let's talk about innovation then. So we talk Belgian beers and Belgian mm-hmm. gla- the glassware is very very much steeped in tradition, mm-hmm. and I imagine there's not much wiggle room away from that. Um, at the moment, so we, earlier we, Sarah and I we were talking about Asian beers, and mm-hmm. they've actually they've done a bang up job of kind of copying the really stayed, well known styles of beer. Yoho is a is a brewery out of Tokyo that I love a lot, and they just keep it really simple. They have like a pilsner, a pale ale, their IPA. They're all solid and almost perfect as they are. Mm-hmm. But now they're starting to innovate, and you said you saw a lot of Asian guests at Saber this. This year. Um, actually, I saw them at Craft Brewers Conference. Oh, the Craft Brewers Conference. So Craft Brewers Conference was in Nashville this year. Um, and this is where you see brewers from all over the world uh, show up. Um, I saw a lot of people from uh, South Korea because the brewing scene there is kind of popping off. Uh, there was actually an entire seminar dedicated to exporting 
uh, beer to China um, because that's a real kind of growing demand center. Um, but as far as Japanese beers go, uh, something that I think uh, Japanese brewers do really, really well with is yeast. Um, the yeast that they use, the yeast that they develop. And I, I mean, I think it's because you have this tradition of sake, which is a fermented grain beverage, um, and yeast is such an important part of that beverage as well. Now, I'm no sake expert at all, um, but you know, I do know that yeast is a big part of that beverage, and I feel like because that culture, that beverage culture already has a good grasp on that, it's translated to the beer really, really well. Right, so it almost seems natural that they will just grasp onto another fermented beverage that they yeah. enjoy quite a bit. Is the kind of the transfer of knowledge going, you know, from America and, and the Western uh, brewing traditions going east, or have you seen any kind of knowledge coming over on, on, onto our side? Um, you know, not not at least in the beer scene. I I haven't seen too much. I mean, I know there are There's there a are few. yeah, there are a lot of brewers that'll sometimes do like like a stage, which sure. is, you know, a, a little stint at a, at a brewery um, overseas so that they can kind of gain some information because, like, no matter what, there's information and there's knowledge to be gained from, from, um, from somebody else doing something different from you. Um, but as far as, like, trends go, I don't see that... I don't, no. I don't see that moving from Asia to the U.S., you see a few sake-based beers. Yeah. Right. Like, that's a, little, uh, a couple sake-based beers. I think yeah. uh, for me, at least, I think I've seen a couple more beers that have been replicating the kind of the slightly maltier, sweeter Asian-style lagers that go so well with Asian food, the spiciness of Asian food. And my theory is that because Asian food is becoming more popular these days, well, yeah, you're going to want to have a beer that kind of pairs up with it. Not that, that there aren't western and american beers that will do very very well but you know people want you know air quotes authenticity a lot of times yeah i mean you also see the rise of the mexican lager um and it's kind of the you know that similar idea it's got that more kind of multi-backbone so you you know you're seeing a lot of a lot of rise of lagers and pilsners for sure because pilsner is what brewers drink uh, they brew that for themselves. So, you know, and this is what people want to drink at the end of a shift. So, you know, as much as New England IPAs are having a moment right now, I think Pilsners will be the next kind of wave that you'll see. Yeah. What, what is a New England IPA? So embarrassing. So it mostly started with a brewery called Alchemist uh, up in Vermont. Uh, essentially, they stumbled upon a particular yeast strain that uh, really accentuated some of the poppy characteristics, like more of the fruit end. Um, but now what they're doing is they're throwing so many hops into the brew that it ends up taking away all clarity from the beer. It looks like a glass of orange juice when you're drinking it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a lot of particulate matter in it. And then uh, they usually do dry hopping when the beer is fermented, which means you won't get any bitterness because hops impart bitterness when you boil the beer. So unlike your your kind of classic West Coast IPAs like Stone or uh, Sierra Nevada, uh, you're you're getting these really big fruity citrusy bombs. Super beer. juicy, yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, some people execute them very well, but you know, sometimes you see people. What what are the people doing now? They're like throwing flour into it. To, yeah, I, yeah, a lot of people are like throwing extra lactose into uh, it. Just yeah. for that like haze effect. Exactly. And then you also see breweries adding too much fruit, you know, at the end to kind of back up that fruity quality. And like, I, 
I can't completely fault them for it because at the end of the day, they're selling beer, you know, and right. it's also super, super crushable and approachable. So you want to get your beer into the hands of a more diverse crowd of people and you want to make your beer really approachable and it's summertime, of course you're going to fill it with passion fruit. I just had uh, Stillwater's Tangerine Haze, which is, I feel like in that style, it almost kind of verges on a sour. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it is an IPA, but it has those like super juicy notes to it and it blew my mind. You liked it? I did. I loved it. Yeah. And, you're, and, and you, you both of you are, will be okay with that. You know, just getting more beer into more people's hands that they're willing to crush, crush, especially for this hotter summer weather. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I don't have to like every single style, and I'm <laughs> I'm certainly not like the be all end all approval for beer. But you know, if at the end of the day, if people like it, people like it. Right. Well, it's also that thing where people say, "Oh, I don't like beer." It's like you probably just haven't had the right beer. For sure. You. Um, we mentioned earlier uh, sake with beer or sake in beer. Um, I know there's also kind of a, a genre bending brew trend right now with uh, wine and beer crossover. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing wine and beer cans, and we're seeing beer with uh, wine musts and 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 um, oh, Asian Asian wine barrels as well. Yeah, yeah. Asian wine barrels as well. Um, any, any thoughts or ideas or recommendations on that? Don't call it a comeback. It's been here for years. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, people have been aging uh, beer in oak and, you know, adding wine must to beer for for years and years and years and years now. Uh, It's gaining more and more popularity. But, I mean, we talk about Belgium being, like, a very classic place. I mean, you have some of the greatest brewers, you know, adding wine must to their beer. One of my favorite beers is uh, St. Lambinus by Cantillon. And this is where you're, you know, aging this uh, Lambic on wine must for years. So it's it's been going on for a while. I mean, honestly, the farther back you go in history, the separation between beer and wine really kind of narrows down. People would just use wine grapes to start the fermentation process. And so you would end up, the some producers like the Lambic producers who stay really traditional. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much why they originally did it. Huh. So. Yeah. Huh. So you, you, you are seeing a, a rise in it for sure. Yeah. And I, but it's one of those things that's, it's been around forever and I'm excited to see it. It's like bell blossom. Bottoms. Exactly. It just comes back in, in, in fashion every no. so often. No. No. <laughs> Eddie Kim, I think you would look magnificent in a pair of bell bottoms. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree, but. Um, bell bottoms and drinking a glitter beer. I think you just haven't had the right glitter beer. Yeah. Glitter beer is going to happen, right? Right guys. Yeah. It's happening. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. You heard it her first glitter beer. It's already, it's already happening. Sarah Jane, have you, we, we've talked about this because it, yeah. it fascinates me, but have you actually endeavored in, into the glitter world? No. I mean, look, I have respect for glitter, you know? <laughs> I grew up in the age of Lisa Frank and, you know, brightly colored kittens and unicorns, but I'm, uh, I'm good on that. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Dylan? I, I don't think I could rock it, but, you know, if you put one in my hand, why not? Why not? That's the spirit. <laughs> we will put that question to you later. <laughs> Something that I actually saw that was interesting at the Craft Brewers Conference that um, is cropping up here and there is frozen beer. So, Ooh. yeah, so like froze has been a thing for what the past couple of years. Yeah. And you're seeing a rise in frozen cocktails and things like that. There's actually a, a producer out of Japan, and now I'm now I'm eating my words re- earlier. And they are basically you pull the beer 
um, from the draft, and then you stop maybe like two inches before the glass is full. Okay. And then you move it to this like slushy machine, and you pull the rest so it looks like a little dollop of foam, but it's all frozen beer. That sounds good. That sounds fantastic. Right? Yeah. And I think I think uh, Omnipolo uh, did did something like they they did like a what was it? They did like a stout and then they added like a raspberry beer like smoothie oh, on man. top or something. Somebody please do this in DC. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it's so oh it's it's gimmicky. It's super gimmicky. Uh, but at the I'm, end of the day, whatever, whatever it, it sells beer. Yeah. Um, uh, I would love to see that actually. I think I have a video. <laughs> okay, we'll try to post a video. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, let's talk. Let's talk summer real quick. We're we're almost in the midst of it. We're basically there. Um, you're a cicerone. You, you pair beer with food. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to pair beer with summer. Um, pair a beer with summer. So we're gonna we're gonna create the ultimate summer beer playlist uh, i'm gonna put you uh on side a sarah jane you got side b okay. three beers three summer selects three summer select beers yeah. okay great dylan uh, you know uh one that i have to say always uh crisp by six point out yeah. of uh, brooklyn it's like light hoppy note but just super refreshing uh kind of lager style beer uh that one's really great a uh, bit more local, um, probably going to be Union's uh, Goes. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Union Old Pro Goes. Old Pro. Just a little bit, uh, some acidity there. Yeah. Always awesome. Yeah. Uh, Union's based out of Baltimore, mm-hmm. but you can find their beers all over all over the city. Nice marine quality. Yeah. Ah, damn. Another one. Honestly, uh, the classic Saison DuPont, man. It's, that's a good one. Yeah, just it's uh, super effervescent, especially if you get the bottle condition ones. Um, got a little bit of spice note to it. It's perfect with food because it does just have enough fruity, spicy going on that it will basically stand up to anything. What, is, what does bottle condition mean? So in the same way that uh, champagne is made, essentially a little bit of yeast is added at the end of the process to re-ferment it in the bottle. Yeah. And what's nice about that is it makes a lot, uh, a much finer carbonation, a lot less harsh, a lot less acidic than like forced carbonation like you do with soda pop. Sure. So it ends up showing a bit more of the, uh, a bit more of the beer itself. Softer texture is nice. Okay. That's a great side A. Mm -hmm. Sarah Jane, B-side us. B-side. Um... All right, I'm sorry. Okay, uh, I would do Allagash, uh, Hoppy Table Beer. Okay. It's a pale ale. It's lower in ABV, um, very refreshing, nice and crisp, hint of bitterness. I think it's four point something. Four point five, five, and now yeah. in cans. Wait. Nerds. Is it really in cans now? Because I thought it was only at the brewery in cans. <laughs> I've seen it in stores yet. But <laughs> you see it in stores now? No, I haven't you seen it in stores yet, but. Because I saw it on Instagram. Anyways. Yeah. So yes, so yeah, nerds. Um, and I, I have this uh, love affair with uh, with Allagash. Um, let's see. I would also do, and this is definitely not local. This is uh, one of my favorite beers, Professor Fritz Bream, eighteen oh nine Berliner Weiss. Okay. 
Um, that rolls right off the tongue. Right off the tongue. Uh, Berliner Weiss, the original champagne of beers. Wow. Uh, so this is a tart wheat beer uh, soured with lactobacillus. Don't be scared of that name. It's in your yogurt. Um, so <laughs> really tart, very refreshing. Uh, really, really good if you're like sitting out on a patio crushing basically any kind of oysters or salami plate or cheese or anything. It, basically, anytime you drink champagne, just drink Berliner Weiss. Fuck yeah. Um... I feel like I should throw a local one in there, right? Finish with a local. Something local. Um, you know what? Uh, Blue Jacket, I uh, talked about them during my show this morning, but they, in the past couple weeks, have started doing cans. And I love it when breweries start doing cans because everything is really transportable. It's really easy to kind of right. take it to the beach, take it to the lake, you know, places that yeah. you go during the summertime. So um, they're loggers and... Uh, Pilsners and, and things like that are all really, really stellar. Who's the brewer now again? Uh, Roe? Roe. Yeah. yeah, Roe. He came out from Colorado. Um, so they're they're just doing some really great, refreshing beers. There's actually a, a beer can with, like, men running to a beach. So, like... Longboard, right? Yeah, it just tells you yeah. where to go on the... On the, on the that label. sounds perfect. Um, yeah, and, you can, and you, they have a brewery down at Navy Yard mm-hmm. uh, at the bottom of the green line. Um, but you can... Can you find beers, their beers... Only there or elsewhere in the city? They're only selling it yeah, at the brewery just right the now. Brewery right okay. There. Well, we will definitely post this mixtape to our social meds. Awesome. Summer playlist. Nice. I like beers. that. Um, all right. Well, what do you think, Eddie Kim? Should we play a couple games? Let's play a couple games. What should we start with? Uh, let's, go, let's go with the uh, rapid fire. <laughs> rapid fire. How do you guys get all these cool things? I don't get these cool things on my show. <laughs> we got a guy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, we, it's Eddie. Actually, it's Jack. Thank you, Jack. We just outsourced Actually, the labor. Actually, it was uh, RecTech in Brooklyn. RecTech. Rec so thanks, RecTech. RecTech is a regular listener to our show. I hope so. Um, all right. So this uh, little segment here, uh, we just shoot out some questions. We want tip of the tongue answers. Um, so, Jay, we're going to start with you. Mm-mm. What is your most unusual <laughs> nighttime or morning ritual? Unusual nighttime or morning ritual. Uh, I'm really particular about ear cleanliness. So, I'm really... I'm with you on that really one. Really particular about... I really get in there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you make any, like, throat scratching noises? I don't. Okay. I'm not weird about it. It's very clinical. Okay. <laughs> I'm the weird one. <laughs> uh, Dylan, favorite beer drunk food? Oh, uh, ramen. Like the really bad crappy ramen. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like styrofoam cup. Styrofoam cup. Just, yeah, for sure. Even if it's cold, honestly. Like So the next morning after you, you've only half finished it. Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing. The worst is when you pop open your beer, get a full meal air quotes going and you wake up the next morning you're like oh man I meant to eat that drink it damn it yeah (laughs) cold ramen Uh, Sarah uh, favorite chef anywhere that's focusing on food that pairs up with beer Uh, anywhere in the world world? that's a harder question I'm going to keep it local Um, I got two actually Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Mikey Friedman in um, with All Purpose and Red Hen. Yes. Uh, he does a lot of, he actually participated in Savor this year. He definitely cares about, you know, pairing beer with food and, and definitely puts a, a big stress on that. What up, Mikey? And then also Kyle Bailey of The Salt Line. I just saw him walk by a moment Are you ago. serious? I, he's, he's lurking around the hotel somewhere. He's always Probably lurking around some somewhere. Yeah, he's got some like you know sacrifice or something to go to. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he was the chef at Bertram Belly Church. He and I was the general manager, and uh, he not only really knows his beer, like he'll lie and say he doesn't, but he really knows his beer, and he uh, really really cares about you know creating an entire experience, not just you know awesome food. He he wants a, a full you know show for yeah. the guests, you know. Yeah. yeah. Kyle? That's L- Dylan. L- oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Dylan. Dylan. You, can't, you can't take him off, <laughs> off your mind. <laughs> if, uh, okay, so so local celebrities, if they if two of them got married, if Mr. Bo and the Uds girl got married, what beer would you serve at their wedding? Oh, man. And, Nets, um, and Natty Bo does not count. It's, 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 it's too obvious. It's, Natty Bo doesn't count. Damn. Um, yeah, uh, I, I guess I'd go for uh, probably... <laughs> Cantillon, maybe for uh, Cantillon Fafoon, just because it is really, really approachable, but still kind of hits that like, oh, this is the rare beer I'm supposed to check in kind of deal. I feel like you're just making up words, and I I couldn't tell you what that is at all. So, it's real, <laughs> Cantillon. Yeah, so it's a uh, it's a lambic uh, that's done with apricots, awesome. Burgundian ah, apricots. Ah, cool. Okay, and it's uh, super fruity, really easily drinkable, like especially dry. So. Honestly, it does do a pretty fair job subbing in for kind of sparkling wine. All so. right. Well, I look forward to that wedding. I guess it's already happened. Never mind. Yeah. Everyone wants it to happen. Th- didn't it Did already it happen? happen? Yeah, I thought it happened like three years ago. Is it a will they or won't they kind of? No, I thought because I thought they were together. Oh god. There's billboards about it. God, this crossover has already jumped the rail when uh, <sighs> when, the, when the wedding happens. Um. Okay. Sarah Jane, this is actually for both of you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh. Dylan, this is for you when you're working back at the old glue factory. Sarah Jane, when you're uh, not hanging out with the horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, favorite go-to teenage beverage with alcohol. Teenage beverage with alcohol? Yeah, like what was your like teenage go-to? I was a teenager. Eddie's was rum and coke. Was it? No, nah, that was mine. No. Mine was Southern Comfort. I was a... Uh... I, I drank a lot of gin and juice. Who are you? I don't know. <laughs> I liked um, I liked, I liked gin when I was younger, and uh, I would mix it with whatever kind of juice was around. You're an old soul, Sarah yeah. Old soul. Uh, probably Modelo, because at the time I was like, wow, it's got gold foil. That's fancy. I'm actually still, that still gets me. The original glitter here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Sarah, how about my usual go-to question? Mm-hmm. Deathbed meal? Deathbed meal. Your deathbed meal. Uh, my mom's black bean soup. She makes a really, really killer black bean soup. Right on. Yep. Oh, man. Uh, probably just southern comfort food. Honestly, like uh, fried catfish. Oh, fried my God, catfish. yes. You definitely deal with that. Uh, That's a good pull. I like that. That was my favorite as a kid. Just stuff, uh, some, yeah, just fried catfish, some nice coleslaw, a little spicy barbecue sauce, we're like talk- Kansas City style. Are we talking hush puppies or? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely okay, cool. hush puppies. 
You can drop F-bombs on this show. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, and we're doing a new, a, new, a new little thing today. Yeah, I want to try something new. So it's kind of rapid fire. So it's a would you rather. Okay. So we give you two options, both of them equally horrible. So would you... Okay, so uh, this one's referring to Greg Englert, who is a notable beer celebrity um, in town that kind of helped pave the way for a lot of... Uh, the beer renaissance that happened several years ago. This is also Dylan's current boss and my former boss. Yes. So, okay. yes. <laughs> so would you rather drink a beer brewed with Greg Englert's beard hair mm-hmm. or only drink litter beer for an entire month? I've, I'll, I'll go with the one bad experience. I'll, I'll take the beard hair. The beard you did the beard hair. The beard hair beer. beer. Yeah, actually, I think, I think Rogue made a beer. Yeah, they was, did beard hair in it. Yeah. Rogue out of uh, Oregon did a yeah. beard. Uh, they took yeast from a beard and oh, put it God. in the beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I'd have to do Greg's beard hair to get it like, oh, just wow. rip it off like a Band-Aid. Yeah. You know? I would like, I would for a month of glitter beer, I would, I would, I would wear that with pride. Yeah, I would do the glitter beer. I, I like this little delineation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. Well, I guess let's let's, uh, let's wrap this up with a little marry a fuck a kill. Fuck, marry, kill. Um. So with this one, we're uh, I'm gonna add like a whole extra caveat. It's marry, fuck, kill, or ghost. Oh. Where it's it's 2018. We can do these things. Um. So we got four different styles for you. Uh, Mexican lager, the German Gosa, the American IPA, that means IPA, and the uh, Czech style Pilsner. Mary fuck kill ghost. See, I played this and I, I said divorce, but oh, uh, okay, nice. I would <laughs> such see. a '90s kid thing to say. I, I would marry the Czech style Pilsner. Okay. I would fuck the German ghost. Um, what are the, the the Mexican lager and American, American IPA. IPA? American IPA. I'd kill the American IPA, and I would ghost the Mexican lager. <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, poor little Mexican lager. I know. I know. I know. It doesn't even Peace. know. You just all you had to do was text it. No. Stringing him along. Uh, you know, I would. Uh, I'd probably. Fuck the Czech Pilsner. Okay. Um, marry the IPA. Yeah, I, I'd kill the the Mexican lager, honestly. And ghost the goes. Bye, goes. All right. So different. I like bitter, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is our show. Thank you for joining us this week, you two. It's been an amazing crossover. No arch villains were revealed yet. Um, you can revisit this week's episode or previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you grab your podcasts uh, and find us on all the social medias at Shift Drink DC uh, don't forget to throw us a review on iTunes like our friend TJ Lewis and Andrew Rutledge and Eddie Kim's mom my mom she, uh, loves, she loves Matthew my mom puts uh, comments on my Facebook whenever I post an episode well that means she always puts things like 
this was a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that now that there's a crossover, maybe she'll start commenting on ours too. Yes, right? please, yeah. please make sure. I will make sure she fingers comments. crossed. Right, make sure. <laughs> Dylan's mom, don't be shy. <laughs> Everyone's mothers, please. Yeah. Uh, special thank you to Jeffrey for doing our extra long intro this week, and DJ Rectech for our amazing sound uh, sound effects. We do need a new one coming up soon. Uh, next week, Bill Murray is actually going to drop by in, in the studio to school us a little bit on the rise of hand-harvested teas. Finally, an oolong time coming. Oh, man. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.